people. We four have been invested with the powers of the universe. More power than any other four people on Earth. With this power properly controlled and applied, we four could aid and do good for all mankind. And so to fight tyranny, I put out the hand of Mr. Fantastic. Hello and welcome to Marvel by the Month, a weekly podcast about the monthly publishing history of Marvel Comics. My name is Brian Stratton. And I'm Rob Milne. And welcome, dear listener, to May 1962. This is episode number four. Uh, and we are going to be talking about Fantastic Four number four and Incredible Hulk number one. So as of this point, uh, the Marvel superhero universe uh, is all of about six issues old. Um, we have uh, the Fantastic Four as heroes. We have uh, Henry Pym, who is not yet Ant-Man. And we will be adding the Incredible Hulk uh, to our stable of Marvel heroes. And that's just about it. That is the extent of the Marvel Universe so far. <laughs> so it's kind of cool to watch it uh, starting to slowly develop. Um, they're still on a bi-monthly publishing schedule at this point. So these issues would have come out in March 1962 with a May cover date. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what else was going on um, in March 62. Well, there were still... Uh... The, the ongoing arms and space race yep. with the Soviets. The, the thing I, or I thought was the most interesting was President Kennedy announced that the United States would resume atmospheric nuclear testing. So uh, we're talking about, again, nukes. Yep. Obviously, the nuclear threat was huge. Um, there was a lot of, you know, in the popular consciousness, there was a lot of concern about radiation, about the effects of radiation. The miracle of radiation, uh, in some cases, uh, radiation was a big damn deal. Um, and it, that absolutely comes through in the comics of the time. Uh, also uh, worth mentioning um, that uh, a couple music acts you may have heard of, uh, <laughs> the Beatles uh, made their radio debut uh, in the UK at the time. Uh, with a three-song session um, recorded uh, for uh, BBC Manchester program Teenager's Turn, Here We Go. And Bob Dylan uh, released uh, his first album called Bob Dylan, uh, which went on to sell literally hundreds of copies. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when you think about the 60s, um, this is the month when a lot of very 1960s things are happening including uh, Nelson Rockefeller, uh, governor of New York, uh, signed the uh, order to allow uh, the construction of the World Trade Center to begin. Uh, and that's a big deal uh, because, you know, one of the things that sets Marvel Comics apart um, very early on is that they are set in the real world in a real version of New York City. And, you know, obviously the World Trade Center is a big part of that history. And interestingly enough, this is the issue where we are, we confirm this, that we are in the, uh, the real world, the real New York. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is where, uh, Stan Lee just makes a decision. It's like, this is taking place in the world that we live in. Most of the heroes, like you said, are centered in New York city, but, uh, there's also a very, uh, there are ties to other real world events and uh, people um, that we will see as we start talking about these issues. Um, so let's start talking about these issues. Well, straight away, 
you were talking about six characters that are heroes. Yes. And arguably on this cover, we have another hero. Uh, he's often not a hero and not very heroic, but he's had his own, you know, comics over the years. Yep. So, and he has acted as an Avenger, I believe. He so, has been an Avenger. He's been a Defender. Uh, yep. So here he's he's appearing, not for the first time in Marvel Comics, but the first time in a long time. Yes. And uh, it is Namor, the Submariner. The Submariner. <laughs> yes. Old Flat Top himself uh, has shown up um, with his pointy ears and little winged heels. Um, and uh, on the cover of Fantastic Four number four, he is abducting a terrified looking Sue Storm uh, and taking her into the water as the torch and uh, the thing and Mr. Fantastic are hot in pursuit. And the torch is warning, stop him. If the Submariner reaches the water, he'll become invincible. I love your Johnny Storm voice. Let's see, we're picking up right where we left off from the last issue of uh, Fantastic Four. Um, so refresh our memories. What was going on there? Well, there was a bit of a spat between Ben, specifically between Ben and Johnny. Big surprise. Uh, and Johnny took off, and and there he took off in a in a huff. And Reed was concerned that Johnny may turn again against them reed's concerned that most people will turn against them reed's got some issues but uh the torch is gone and we we find the rest of the four uh wondering where where he's gone and and agreeing that they've got to find him yep absolutely so basically um reed convinces ben uh, that they have to uh head out and they have to find the torch um and he's saying the thing that he's better helped too and ben is just fine with that he says you bet it means me and when i do find him i'll teach him to run <laughs> off on us that way uh, uh very predictable and so they jump into the fantastic car only three segments of which uh, are rising into the air and they split up and they head off across the city to try to find the human torch so we get our our montage of powers that we seem to, to have set up each issue. Yep, got to introduce uh, those powers every single so time. So Sue, Sue goes in. She decides she's thirsty. She needs to stop in for a drink. So I don't know how she paid for this drink, but she goes invisible before she goes into the malt shop, sips down a, a cola, scares some kid. He, uh, he uh, I think, believes it to be haunted, runs out. <laughs> and then uh, we cut over to uh, Reed Richards, who's lurking behind some shrubbery. He sees some guys riding by on motorcycles, uh, thinks, hey, maybe they've seen the torch. So he just reaches out and grabs one of them off his bike, holds him above his head, and uh, basically is, is being kind of threatening for a guy who has done nothing to him and doesn't actually know anything about the torch's whereabouts either. Uh, but the dude seems pretty okay with it, um, thinking to himself after Reed walks away, uh, wow, Mr. Fantastic himself lifted me right off my cycle. Wait till I tell the gang. Will I be a big man? <laughs> but little does Mr. Fantastic suspect that less than one mile away, there's Johnny. He's uh, he's in a garage messing around with uh, hot rods. As, as is his way. As the kids do. Yep. 
uh, he's doing a little, this is a nice introduction of his power, doing mm-hmm. some uh, uh, welding with just by flaming on his finger and then showing everyone how cool he is at controlling his power by totally engulfing himself in flames while standing next to a barrel of gas. Which his friends must just absolutely love. <laughs> um, but this also does, he's not just showing off, this actually does set up kind of important uh, plot point for a little bit later which is to demonstrate that the torch has very, very precise control over his flame, Mm -hmm. which will make sense in a little bit. (laughs) So uh, the fourth member of our foursome uh, is actually lurking right outside. He was playing out a hunch, and he knew that Johnny spent a lot of time here uh, fiddling around with hot rods uh, whenever he'd get the chance. And, uh, you know, a thing won't use a door when he can make one. So he punches through the wall because he feels the heat from the torch uh, on the other side of it. And then uh, he basically says, I know you're not going to do anything because there's gasoline everywhere. Uh, so basically, you just stand still while I pound the crap out of you. <laughs> Chapter two. <laughs> just to point out, he doesn't have his costume anymore. He's just wearing basically wrestler shorts. Yep. Uh, so he, there was no like helmet mention or the top part of his costume that he continually ripped off in yeah. the last month. No, they let that go. So uh, so Ben, in his way, he's punched the hole in the wall. Pretty standard for him. Mm-hmm. Now he's lifting up a car to throw at the torch. Sure, why not? Uh, and uh, and and demanding that the torch does not burst into flames. And I'm not sure what he's thinking other than that he's going to crush him with a car. <laughs> But before you can do that, um, he has one of his spontaneous re- reversals back to human form. Torch uses that excuse to make his getaway. But of course, as always, it's a very short-lived transformation. And just as Ben is celebrating becoming human again, he starts turning orange and lumpy and rocky again. Oh, so sad. Very Every sad. time it's sad. And now, we uh, this is where it first mentions the Bowery. So. Yes. As the thing sinks to his knees in helpless rage, Johnny Storm reaches the outskirts of the Bowery. Yes. Which he's going to hide himself here among the teeming masses. Yeah. And I think this page is actually really interesting for a couple different reasons. First of all, um, first specific mention of a specific New York neighborhood, uh, historically considered part of the Lower East Side. um, And that's where Jack Kirby grew up. Um, So this is Jack really pulling from uh, his own life as he illustrates this. And if you compare this to pages earlier, there's a certain level of detail on these pages. Uh Um, It's populated with a lot of background uh, characters and uh, just slice of life bits like, you know, fruit carts and uh, just, you know, the buildings in the background and signage and stuff. It's very, very detailed. And it really gives you the sense of, you know, being, in a very specific place at a very specific time. Um, so again, this is you know sort of Jack putting a stamp on this and saying it's like this isn't just generic superhero land. This isn't make believe New York land. This is actual New York. This is the Bowery. This is what I know. Um, and bringing that to life, which is great. And uh, Johnny, it, he's trying to just stay as low key as possible. So he checks into the uh, men's hotel. Looks like it costs twenty five cents a night. And he's, it's basically a, a bunkhouse um, full of what, what seemed to be some, some rough types. Yes. 
and uh, he sits down and starts uh, reading an old 1940s comic mag. Another another weird thing is in this universe there are comic books. Yes, that the characters are reading. Yes, so it's it's meta already. Yeah, they they have stories about the heroes who actually populate the Marvel universe, uh, and this continues on throughout the rest of the Marvel universe. So he's he's reading about the Submariner, uh, and he remembers his sister talking about his older sister talking about the character, and uh, thinking about how strong he is, and he ends up in a conversation with this rough looking fellow talking about <laughs> a, an a stumble bum right here who's as strong as that joker was supposed to be yeah and the thing i really love is that johnny's he's talking about how uh his sister would tell him stories about you know the submariner how he used to be a tough guy uh somehow it escapes his memory that he also like used some whale-powered turbines to cause a tidal wave to flood manhattan uh in the 40s um <laughs> but you know that apparently has been lost in the popular culture. That wasn't that big of a deal. So, you know, I would think that might be the first line of the history book entry on him. But, um, you know, maybe Johnny just isn't great at paying attention. I believe that, too. And so, of course, with feats of strength, you start with ripping a phone book in half. As you do. That's just a standard. But instead, the surly old stumble bum just punches the guy <laughs> uh, and calls him a puny flea, which is it's pretty good some some solid language there a bunch of guys try to jump on him to beat him up and he uh basically just i mean it looks like he beats up about six guys but he's having some trouble with his memory it turns out so he's he takes a moment to uh, talk about why he he's got this long years here in a fog with his mind blank and so the rest of the uh guys from the flop house are ready to just whack the crap out of him with bats and pipes. Uh, Johnny convinces them to uh, hold off a second. He ignites his finger, um, just like we saw him do earlier with the welding, um, and using very precise control of his flame, uh, he winds up shaving uh, the beard off of this mysterious vagrant. And lo and behold, it actually turns out to be the actual Submariner. Chapter three. Chapter three. <laughs> Cut to Reed uh, stretching up into the air and talking to some people in a helicopter, as you do. Yeah, and, and grabbing the helicopter. Like, this is Reed's MO for this entire issue is that he sees someone he wants to talk with and he just reaches out and grabs them. <laughs> Even if their motorcycle were to just take off down the road without them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he, he then <laughs> bends down. To a passing train. This one just seemed that that panel is so <laughs> weird. It's very strange. Uh, and he he's asking people if they've seen Johnny. So he's just going around town. Then we cut to uh, Sue, who's who's also very close. She just just misses him as she's walking around the Bowery. And then we get to Johnny's idea that he's going to try to restore the memory of the Submariner. Yeah, Johnny's plan is, and it's a great plan, uh, he picks up the Submariner, he flies him out over uh, the sea, uh, and he decides to drop him in the water because if he is the Submariner, the water will bring back his memory and his full powers. And if not, I'll just dive in and save him. <laughs> um so, uh, but he is, of course, the Submariner. Uh, so he 
kicks off uh, all of his shabby clothes, uh, strips down to his little trunks, um, and uh, remembers who he is, and his powers come back to him, and uh, he heads to his undersea kingdom, but tragedy, it is in ruins and glowing with radiation. Uh, The surface dwellers, that's us, accidentally destroyed it with uh, underground nuclear testing, Um, and although he believes his people probably survived it, uh, he has no idea where they might be. His kingdom is in ruins. His people are gone and, uh, he's not super happy. He's, uh, he's not known for being super happy, but he's very not super happy. Yeah. Uh, so he decides then that the humans shall pay for this. And so we have, we've already demonstrated how strong he is and now. He's even stronger because he's been dropped into the ocean. He tells Johnny, he should do not feel proud of what you have done, for by returning my memory, you have signed a death warrant on the human race. Yeah, That's not great. Good villain language there. That's pretty good. Um, and so uh, Johnny pops off the Fantastic Four flare. Uh, his three teammates uh, follow it to the waterfront. Um, and he says, look, I didn't want to call you. I didn't want to see you again but we need each other because the Submariner's back and he's going to try to destroy the whole human race. Reed thought Submariner had died years ago. Um, and uh, Ben is like, bah, who's worried? Uh, nothing human can stand up mm-hmm. to the thing, but that's the problem. Submariner is not human. Not human. And he's got some, uh, he's got some other people he can call on when he wants to. Yeah. For example, Giganto. Giganto, the whale who has little arms <laughs> above the back of his head. Such a Kirby thing. It's amazing. Uh, so Namor has decided to to blow this horn to wake Giganto from yep. an ancient slumber. So this is like a yeah, half salamander, half whale monster. We can't quite tell how enormous he is until he comes up and just him surfacing like kills a boat yep uh the the crew gets away in their little dinghy but he just starts lumbering towards the city for the first time uh the order is given to evacuate new york um the army lines up with their heavy artillery uh and they fire uh at giganto as he appears uh approaching the city but it doesn't even slow him down um reed gets up there in his fantastic hire segment uh, and he's spewing a chemical smoke screen to try to confuse it and slow it down. That doesn't work. The torch flies up, tries to lead him away. He just douses him with a water spout and puts out the torch's flame. Um, Reed stretches to save him. Um, and uh, Namor just keeps leading uh, Giganto toward the shore with his undersea horn. And then this is one of those parts of a story when I'm sure you're first reading it, you don't think that this giant monster is going to reach the shore uh, because the Fantastic Four is there. They're going to stop him. But yeah. uh, but he does. And oh, you yeah. see buildings akimbo like everywhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, that's when Ben comes up with a plan. He has the army uh, strap a nuclear bomb to his back. A really, really big nuclear bomb. Like a couple few maybe five times as big as him and he uh starts his plan is to walk into the belly of the beast yeah also i just noticed this um that panel where uh ben is 
uh, telling Sue his plan, that's the first time we start seeing Rocky Ben Grimm. Oh yeah, and he is not as lumpy. Yeah, so he's he's delumping um, as he becomes uh, heroic and I was going to say self-sacrificing, but he makes it very clear that he's no hero and he's not going to uh, snuff himself to take out Giganto. Right, there's a timer on this thing. Exactly. So chapter five, Ben walks into Giganto's mouth like Pinocchio um, and uh, fights some monsters inside of him, drops the bomb off, runs out, makes it just in time. Bomb goes off and Giganto is killed, but Ben is knocked out and they still have the Submariner to deal with. And the Submariner, of course, is just throwing out some more threats because that's what you do when you villain. Yep. Uh, and he's talking about the other monsters he's going to call with this horn. And that's when Sue comes through, invisible, grabs the horn away from him. So it looks like we've solved that problem, but he figures out by following the floating horn <laughs> that somebody is invisible may have it and captures her. And then he says, well, here is a prize worth catching. And this panel, like I have seen this reprinted in so many and, and, you know, tribute uh, art done to it in later comics that are flashing back to this moment. This is a big moment. This is the first moment where Namor meets Sue Storm and their weird relationship begins. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's, um, it doesn't age super well by modern standards where basically he's like, Hey, if you become my bride, uh, I won't, you won't destroy. Everyone. I won't destroy y- your loved ones and everything you care about and your entire society. Um, and, uh, her, uh, response to it, uh, is, uh, no Prince Namor, you mustn't. I'll do anything. I'll become your bride. <laughs> One life such as mine doesn't matter, but humanity must be spared. And, uh, he doesn't, Really, he was hoping for a little bit more of an enthusiastic response. <laughs> he he's kind of insulted by that. Uh, then we get there's a there's this one weird shot of of Ben where he looks almost like the scarecrow from the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> like, the, the Rocky stuff has changed quite a bit. Yes. Uh, so the the rest of the four jump in. They try to they try to stop him, but he he pretty much just punches them all. Uh, that's when Johnny comes up with this great new plan, mm-hmm. which is uh, which we'll see. This is the first time we see him using his powers in totally different ways. Yes. He starts flying very quickly in a circle over Namor and creates sort of a tornado. Mm-hmm. Picks him up and Giganto yep. and the horn. Yep. Just scatters, takes them way out to sea, drops them all where you know the horn could never be found again. Namor's got a ways to go to get back. And uh, and they know that he will be back, but they will be ready. And that's our issue. A classic. And then we get a, a pinup of uh, Reed Richards, who is, of course, stretching up way high to grab somebody. Who <laughs> has a gun. Who has a gun. He's leaning over the top of the building. Yeah. Uh, one note about this comic, too, is that throughout it, in the margins, there are, there are these mentions of, uh, of the Hulk. Yes. What is the Hulk? Who is the Hulk? Hulk is coming. You've never seen anything like the Hulk, just on a bunch of different pages. So we're seeing this little bit of hype for the other comic. Yeah. So uh, well, let's find out. What is the Hulk? Is he man or monster or 
is he both? In uh, Hulk number one, um, the Hulk is colored gray, first of all. Um, and uh, Stan Lee said that the reason that they wanted to make him gray initially, um, at least in one interview, uh, he said uh, because he didn't want the Hulk to be identified with any particular ethnicity. But the uh, the colorist at the time, uh, Stan Goldberg, um, had a really hard time getting the gray tones to print consistently. Um, sometimes he would come out very light, sometimes very dark. Um, sometimes he'd even come out a little bit green. Um, and so the decision was made fairly early on to have the Hulk be green uh, and not gray. Stanley uh, had said multiple times that um, you know his primary inspirations for the Hulk were uh, Frankenstein, um, just in terms of appearance uh, and being a misunderstood monster, um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde for the transformation aspect. Um, Quasimodo. And- Quasimodo, yep, that was another one he would he would reference. Uh, he even mentioned later um, in in his life uh, uh, the uh, Jewish myth of the Golem uh, was uh, one of his uh, inspirations. Whether that was originally part of the plan and Lee just didn't talk about it at the time because you know both he and Jack uh, were Jewish, uh, but you know they they changed their names. They did not advertise. Uh, that they were Stanley Lieber and Jakob Kurtzberg. Um, so, uh, you know, whether that was always a part of the Hulk's origin and something that Lee just didn't talk about until later, or if it was something that, you know, kind of retroactively applied to it, um, not really sure. And then uh, Kirby, because Kirby's always good for a, a great weird quote. Um, he said that one of his inspirations was the story of uh, a mother uh seeing her child trapped under a car and, and getting hit with that burst of adrenaline and being able to lift the car off of the child. Uh, he said that was part of his, uh, his thought process uh, with <laughs> making the Hulk. So um, obviously the Hulk is a, a, you know, a character that has stood the test of time. Um, probably one of the most um, popular Marvel characters of all time. Certainly one of the best known. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he's a, uh, and, he is sort of a horror character. I mean, that's what his inspirations are all of yes. the genre. And uh, he <laughs> and Kirby's first take on him and often in this, uh, but this first scene that we see him, the cover's a little different, but when on the first splash page, he looks a lot like Marlon Brando. He really does. And until you mentioned that it's earlier, like street, I hadn't, yeah. yeah, but he's, he's wearing like, like a, a tattered wife beater, basically. Um, but yeah, like that's the facial structure, the hair, like yeah, yeah, it's and and we are we're already cued in that half man, half monster, the mighty Hulk thunders out of the night. So it's put out there already that he's somehow man and monster, and you get this idea that there's probably some kind of Jekyll Hyde thing going on. Uh, our story begins uh, in the desert somewhere. It's not explicitly stated, but it's somewhere in the southwest U.S. Um, where they are about to test the incredible G-bomb, which harnesses gamma radiation uh, to destructive potential. The man who invented it, Dr. Bruce Banner, uh, is nervously watching out through the testing facility uh, and is anxious to see whether they have succeeded or not. And he is being uh, sort of uh, just constantly bugged by his assistant, (laughs) Igor, 
to tell him the secret of the gamma ray. So it becomes apparent that Dr. Banner is the only one who knows. Yes. And and for some reason, Igor really wants to know. Yes. Uh, and then we meet the bombastic general Thunderbolt Ross. Yeah. And this guy, he just comes in like a house of fire. I actually had to look up to see if Dr. Strangelove had come out by the time uh, Hulk number one was on the stands because he's like, he's straight out of Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Like he, he basically is George C. Scott's character. He runs in, just calls Banner, uh, he tells him he's got no guts, he calls him a milk sop. And then when uh, his daughter, uh, Betty Ross, uh, tries to intervene on uh, Banner's behalf, he says, you keep out of Betty, this is man talk. But Betty does not. But Betty That's does not, to her credit. credit. Yeah. <laughs> she says he's, uh, ever since he was nicknamed Thunderbolt Ross, he's tried to live up to it. And, and... Also, Dr. Banner seems not too phased by it. No. That's the other the other thing. He doesn't seem like a, a milksop. He just seems like he's trying to do his science. You get the feeling that he may have had to eat a fair amount of crap from General Ross <laughs> over the last few months. So maybe he's just numb to it by now. Yeah, apparently this this launch has been this test has been delayed a number of times. So yeah. uh so then we get we get back into Igor just badgering <laughs> Banner about this secret he's like what happened what if something happens to you no one will know tell me your secret tell me your secret yeah uh but banner perhaps because he realizes that it's the middle of the cold war and his assistant is named igor (laughs) (laughs) wisely decides not to share the information (laughs) but uh as they're counting down uh to the detonation uh banner's looking out through his binoculars and uh sees a teenager driving his car onto the test area uh, he tells Igor to pause the test, uh, and he runs out of the bunker um, to try to uh, get the kid off of the test site because the bomb is about to blow. This is where we find out that Igor is nefarious. Yes. He thinks that uh, he's not going to hold it. He's going to make this the end of Bruce Banner. Yep. So uh, Banner succeeds in uh, pushing the teenager into a trench, um, but does not succeed in getting himself in there in time. The bomb goes off, um, and uh, these are like it's a great sequence. So the illustration of the green gamma radiation uh, just blasting yeah. Banner, and like the the shadows and the, the backlighting on his face, uh, his mouth is just opened in this uh, scream. Um, and then we cut to hours later when he's in the exact same pose, still screaming, um, <laughs> but no longer on the test site. Uh, and he finally comes to. And he is at the doctor. This this kid that he pushed out of the way introduces himself. This is as Rick Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said, you know, you saved my dumb life. So I figured I would help you. <laughs> uh, so he's, he said he'd do. Uh, nobody's ever done anything like that for him. So he's 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 just there. He's like instant sidekick. Yeah. Like, uh, thanks. Took you to the doctor, but but Doctor Banner's not feeling so great, and he's not having the best time. He's been screaming for hours. So you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 we have a Geiger counter introduced, and yeah, which is just clicking away and clicking away and clicking away and getting louder and louder, and then the transformation happens as the sun goes down. Uh, Bruce Banner doubles over, and when he rises back up, he's the gray-skinned behemoth who doesn't have a name yet. But who is uh, more verbal than the uh, 
than the hooks you may be used to. Yes. He instantly says to Rick, get out of my way, insect, and throws him across the room. Then he finds out he can just break through the wall of this place. So he's uh, ready to head out and instantly runs into some soldiers. So they, and then literally runs into some soldiers. Yep. Uh, and smash a jeep into it yeah the jeep stops when it hits the hulk the soldiers don't um and fly every which way and uh the hulk wanders off uh into the desert night uh with rick jones in tow (laughs) rick just is not deterred he's like throw me across the room break a hole in the wall get run up like have blow up a jeep and i'm just gonna follow you out into the desert yeah so far you could say it's safe to say that rick jones has some judgment issues (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I guess the whole driving onto the bomb site too. Yeah, um, he didn't start taking genius pills after that. <laughs> so the the Hulk's chapter two. He's hiding out in the desert, trying to uh, to not get caught by the soldiers, and they are looking everywhere for him. But they also name him. This is yes. where they call him that Hulk. Yes, that name seems to instantly stick. It's got viral buzz. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, yeah, so as they are hunting the Hulk, uh, the Hulk has enough of Banner's mind, uh, that he remembers, uh, that he's got to get back to his home. He's got to get the formula for the gamma bomb. Um, and, uh, he even remembers where Banner lives. Um, so he heads there only to find that Igor is ransacking the place, uh, trying to find the gamma ray formula. And Igor being, uh, surprised. Uh, decides he's he's just gonna fire off a shot into this big guy, and uh, didn't really do a lot. No, nope. didn't didn't slow him down. So he, uh, this is a one of the nice feats of strength we see. He takes the gun and just crushes it in one hand. Yep, just into like pebbles. It's awesome. And Igor says, "No, it's impossible. You you aren't human." To which the Hulk responds, <laughs> "Human? Why should I want to be human?" Which is just a badass line um and uh he uh slams igor into a desk uh finds the gamma ray bomb report which uh rick takes and says um he's gonna get it to the army um and then uh hulk sees a picture of bruce banner on his desk which i'm not sure why bruce banner has a picture of bruce banner on his (laughs) own desk but i hadn't really thought through that part (laughs) i don't think lee and kirby did either he doesn't have a lot of family no (laughs) (laughs) um but the hulk uh recoils uh from the photo you know saying he's weak and he's soft and he hates him um and rick is like but he's you and (laughs) Which uh, causes the Hulk to fling him across the room again. <laughs> Number two. Uh, and he, he says he he doesn't need you. He doesn't need anybody uh, with his strength, the power, the world is mine. So he's he's kind of a drunk on his own power there. Yep. But then the sun rises and back to weak, weak banner. So, you know, folks who are familiar with later incarnations of the Hulk, he transforms uh, when Banner gets angry and when the Hulk calms down, he reverts back to Banner. Um, in the early days of the Hulk, it's sunrise and sunset that control the transformation. So that takes us to chapter three. The uh, army MPs uh, bust into Banner's house and uh, General Ross is there, Betty Ross is there. 
Um, they find Bruce and Rick. Uh, they find Igor. They assume Igor must have been in league with the Hulk. Rick hands the gamma ray report over to the army. Um, and then we hear a bunch of conflicting stories from the soldiers about what the Hulk must have been. Um, one thinks he's a giant gorilla escaped from a zoo. Another one thinks he's a big bear who escaped from a circus. And Rick says he thinks they're just seeing things. So he's, <laughs> he's downplaying it. Uh, and then, and Betty's, Betty's come in with, with General Ross and she's expressing her concern. She feels some sort of connection with, with Dr. Banner. Uh, and finally, uh, everyone leaves um, and leave uh, Bruce and Rick uh, alone. And Rick is like, well, I'm glad that's over with. And Banner's like, no, this is just the beginning. <laughs> it's going to be like, night again. <laughs> yeah. He's like, it's going to be night again. And I may again become the Hulk. End of issue, right? <laughs> That's what you would think. That seems like we've gone through several acts. That seems like a very complete story. <laughs> we could just close the book there. But no. Part four. Part four. Enter the gargoyle. This is sweet. So we see Igor in his cell. It's been caught as a spy. And he has a sub-miniature transistor shortwave sending set on his thumbnail. That's pretty good. That's some yeah. Tony Stark stuff. Yeah. If Tony Stark existed at this point, which he doesn't. So somehow he sends this message all the way behind the Iron Curtain. So we, we know he's, one, working with the Soviets as we know them in, in this world. We're talking about the Iron Curtain. Uh, they receive his message, and the message needs to get to the gargoyle. Yep. Nobody wants to deliver that message to the gargoyle. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, nobody, nobody. Uh, finally, the buck gets passed to some poor schlub uh, who slides it under the gargoyle's door. And... Uh, and we can kind of see why they didn't want anything to do with him. Um, he's uh, kind of a just a deformed little mutant of a guy, a giant forehead and um, only, I think, four fingers on each hand. Um, he's hideous. He, he looks like some kind of radish. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the gargoyle reads the report and learns that uh, in America there exists a creature called the Hulk whose power almost matches his. He decides he, he must either kill him or make him his prisoner Yep, as a symbol of his might. So uh, through some Rube Goldbergian <laughs> plan, uh, he launches himself in a rocket, which gets shot down by American missiles. But the tip of the rocket pops off just in time, and that's where the gargoyle is hiding. And that's how he gets himself to America, where... Uh, Rick Jones and Bruce Banner are driving in a Jeep across the desert. Yeah, they're trying to get out of the base so that Dr. Banner is already thinking ahead that don't want to be around a bunch of people when this happens. Rick, not thinking ahead, riding along with him. And, and also, as the sun sets, riding along with him in a Jeep while Banner drives. Yep. Uh, and uh, they didn't leave early enough because as they're driving along, uh, Banner transforms into the Hulk, uh, smashes up the Jeep, um and uh crawls out of the wreckage uh rick is pretty banged up but he's still on board with uh following the hulk uh wherever he might be um and it doesn't take long for the gargoyle to find uh the two of them and follow them and 
the Hulk is feeling some connection for Betty. He says Betty's name a couple of times and knows they're near there. So he starts wandering towards General Ross's house. And Betty uh, goes outside for some fresh air uh, at her father's insistence and runs smack dab into the Hulk, promptly faints. Um, Rick is trying to talk the Hulk, just get out of here. Uh, if you if they find you this time, there's no telling what they're going to do. Uh, the Hulk is just not having it. Uh, and then the gargoyle intrudes on the scene. I do uh, like the Hulk's line, shut up, nobody tells the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> what he says to him. So now we start part five. The gargoyle has special bullets in a gun uh, that the bullets don't hurt them, uh, but they do uh, enslave their minds under the gargoyle's power. And he kidnaps them and uh, launches them, uh, all three of them, back to Mother Russia. But on the way, uh, guess what happens? Sunrise! Yep. So uh, as they land, the gargoyle realizes that he had... Two people in there. One was the Hulk. Now there's Dr. Banner, who he also recognizes as a foremost atomic scientist. So he recognizes Banner, pieces it together. You know, it's sort of a locked room mystery there in his little jet. He puts them in their cells. He's keeping them anyway. He's, you know, he wants to know the secrets. He wants to try to make an army of Hulks if he can. But one thing the gargoyle can't understand is why Bruce Banner would want to be a monster. He thinks that Banner did it to himself on purpose. And he's gargoyle breaks down crying and he says, it's the most horrible thing in the world to, to be a freak, a gargoyle like me. And he says he'd give anything to be normal. And Banner has an idea. Radiation got us into this mess. <laughs> Radiation going to get us out of it. And it, he says it's, he can fix his physical appearance, but he's no longer going to be a genius. And the gargoyle is totally down for that. Uh, so Banner does some magic radiation science and uh, turns the gargoyle back into a normal looking guy, uh, a non-genius. As soon as he has his normal appearance restored, he turns to a portrait of Nikita Khrushchev on the wall <laughs> and says... It was because of you that I became what I was, because I worked on your secret bomb tests, but it took an American to cure me. And now, now that I no longer am a gargoyle, I can defy you and all you stand for, like a man. <laughs> so again, putting us firmly in the real world yep. uh, with this, the real leader of the Soviets at yes, this time. Who and they don't ever address by name, but in the next page, they do refer to him as Comrade K. So... But uh, the portrait is unmistakably Khrushchev. Anyone reading this at the time would have known exactly who that was meant to be. Um, and then, you know, by referring to him as first initial uh, on the next page, like, there's no doubt. Like, right. This is actual Russia, you know, and this is you know, the actual uh, Soviet leader. Um, so, again, we are in the real world. The Marvel Universe is the real universe. So, so wrapping things up, the gargoyle puts Rick and Dr. Banner on a missile, shoots them off. And then stays behind to die like a man, yep. and uh, and blows up himself and many others at this this base as Rick and Doctor Bruce Banner head back to home. The end. So uh, that's uh, May 1962. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the stuff that held up pretty well in 
some of the stuff that may not have aged as gracefully. You know, a couple of these things uh, I think we've already touched on, but I think the depiction of the Bowery in Fantastic Four, uh, number four, is it's really rich and textured. Um, I felt like Kirby was putting a lot of himself into that page. Um, and uh, I think that still holds up really well. It jumped out at me when I was rereading it. And it's a page that even when I was a kid and I was reading these issues um, in reprints and things like that, that was always a page that like, I could see a lot of those details uh, in my mind, even before I reread this. Mm -hmm. We also have this connection between the 40s, Namor, the, the old and physically Johnny reading a comic book mm -hmm. from the 40s, a Marvel comic book. Uh, in a Marvel comic book, connecting the two timelines. So we've we've set up this that that exists and people from then exist. So it's uh, paving the way for others from the past. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, where this will wind up, the original Human Torch will wind up becoming a Marvel Age of Comics character. Um, and of course, Captain America um, will eventually become an Avenger, you know, many months later. So um, but this is really, you know, planting that flag in the ground where, you know, hey, these characters that were in Timely Comics and Atlas Comics uh, are Marvel characters. They are Marvel Comics characters. And uh, Ben gets a chance to be a hero. He was so mad about Johnny being the hero in the last issue. Uh, I, I like the fact that they kind of uh, they sort of tied that back up. It's like, hey, Ben got a little arc in there where he didn't get the chance to be the hero and carry it through. And went out of his way to be a hero, even to the point where he would strap a nuke to his back to do it. <laughs> I mean, it could be argued that Johnny did resolve it again by getting Giganto and Namor and the horn back out to the ocean. But, but let's yeah. not get Ben upset again. Right, well, we know how that goes. We'll get a bunch of boss. Uh, Sue got to do a thing. Yep. She got to steal the horn. Uh, you know, it wasn't just hiding and getting kidnapped, although she does almost get kidnapped. So, you know, I mean, baby steps, baby <laughs> steps. But, you know. And the, the line from the whole that you mentioned already, human, why should I want to be human? Yeah, right from the start, uh, and I think this is something that holds up really well, too, uh, is that although, you know, the Hulk is another Kirby monster character, they go out of their way right away to differentiate him from the thing. The thing hates being the thing. He hates being a monster. He wants to be human. You even get a glimpse in the same month of him becoming a human again. He's delighted um, and heartbroken when he winds up reverting back to his monstrous form, whereas the Hulk just wants to be the Hulk all the time. These are similar characters, but they are very, very different. Um, and I think that works really, really well. Um, and it sets up a dynamic between those two characters that plays out over the course of the next several decades. And then, you know, just uh, another thing I really uh, liked when I was rereading this is just the way that uh, Banner and Rick Jones still have to kind of figure out the rules of being the Hulk. It's not something where this happens and all of a sudden they have perfect knowledge of how the whole thing works. Like at first, Banner's surprised by his own transformation, both into the Hulk and then back from the Hulk. He doesn't know if he's going to transform again. You know, that adds to sort of the horror element of it, um, which I think holds up really well. <laughs> Things that didn't hold up. Yeah. Uh, Sue must marry Namor to prevent the surface world's destruction. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, it's a trope, obviously. It's very much of its era. Um, you know, you're the female character, so, you know, you're you're the team costumer and secretary, and, you know, the villain will try to kidnap you and make you his bride. Um, it's, you know, it's 1963. What are you going to do? And the gargoyle story, as as we said, yeah, it felt like a whole 
fine origin story by chapter three and uh and then having this whole other arc uh with without the hulk actually resolving like hulk it seemed like it was a chance for the hulk to be a hero but really banner was the hero which is another you know theme that starts to bubble up here Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I think the Hulk number one, I think the origin story is fantastic. I do think that Gargoyle story, I, I wish it had been saved for the second issue and fleshed out into a more complete story. Um, and if they had just added a little bit more meat to the Hulk's origin, um, I think that would have played out better, honestly. But all told, it's a great origin story. Like, I yeah. I love it. Um, it. It still holds up really well. It's it's darker and creepier than I remember it being. And um, yeah, it's just very shadowy. Like just the simple fact that all the Hulk stuff takes place at night. Yeah. The horror, the horror element of the Hulk is really interesting in contrast to the like family fun of the fantastic four. Yeah. Yeah. It is definitely a dark side right away. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're painting with a completely different palette um, and it's, it's great. What's your favorite? So, yeah, panels of the month. Um, well, I mentioned uh, that the uh, the panel on uh, page 21 of Fantastic Four number four, um, where Namor catches Sue, um, uh, you know, here is a prize worth catching. Uh, like I said, that's such an archetypal image. The relationship between Sue and Namor gets very complicated. You know, that one really stands out at me. Um, another one, and I think I mentioned this earlier, uh, mm-hmm. is in the Hulk number one um, on page four, uh, right after the uh, the gamma bomb. Um, so it's on panels five, six, and seven. Um, Banner getting hit with the radiation and his face being frozen in that scream, uh, and then you cut to hours later and he's still in the exact same pose. Like that's such a great bit of visual storytelling. Mm-hmm. There, it reminded me of. Uh, like the technique that um, Dave Givens uses a lot in Watchmen, um, where you know using almost the identical panel layout, um, one panel to the next to show a transition, but to thematically link the two of them. Those are just fantastic. Um, those are the two that that really jump out at me. Um, if I have to go for either of them, um, I think I'm going to go with Namor and Sue, just because that relationship um, and those characters—they're two of my favorite characters in Marvel comics—and um, Again, it, their relationship is really complex, um, and this is the very beginning of it. So, for me, that's what stands out. You went deep, and I went <laughs> shallow. Hey, that's good. And so, mine are uh, in Fantastic Four, page eighteen, panel four. Ben straps an atomic bomb to his back, which ben. is awesome. <laughs> also, just for the comedy and insanity of it, there's like a giant jack and a soldier jacking up the back of it as as Ben just hunched over with this this thing far bigger than him on his back. Yeah, so, it's incredible. Uh, so it's just, it's kind of silly, but it's also the strength. It's, you know, this feat of strength. Yes. And, and speaking of feats of strength, uh, when the Hulk wanders out, when first punches through this wall and starts to understand his power and then just gets hit by a Jeep and doesn't move. Like yeah. the, the glass, the soldiers flying, it's a beautiful little panel that shows how strong and indestructible he is and to me uh, especially to young me when i saw those things those this visual of just power i was uh i was really impressed and i was a pretty puny 
kid myself. So <laughs> I was always, you know, I wish I could turn into somebody so strong that I could get hit by a car and the car would be hit by me. Uh, and I think between the two, though, I just love that then getting the atomic bomb. So if I'm picking a panel, it's that one. It's such a great piece of pop <laughs> art, like just giant rock man with enormous cartoon bomb. And it's like neck. a diaper thing, like a big <laughs> yellow <laughs> diaper that's tying the bomb to him. It's just bizarre. Scene. It's so strange and it's so great. Yeah, I love it. It's pure Kirby. <laughs> So how marvelous was this month? All right. What's our scale this month? <laughs> this, we're going to go with one bar is bad. Five bars is great. This is ba as in B-A-H, the preferred exclamation of uh, Ben Grimm, the Hulk. Uh, I think Namor might even get a ba in he there. Does. If he doesn't in this issue, he definitely gets one later. And General Ross has got a ba or two. Yeah. Well, I mean, right there. This has got to be... Uh, I, I'm, you know what? I'm going to go five bars uh, because... Uh, Fantastic Four number four is a great, great issue, start to finish. There's so much good stuff in there. It reintroduces Namor uh, to the Marvel Universe. It ties the 1940s characters into the 1960s. This month had the origin of the Hulk in it. Um, and again, that origin story, I think, is so good and so creepy. Other than, you know, the the Gargoyle story, which is just like, you know, basically, I feel like we got two amazing comics and then we got a little extra comic that wasn't necessary, but it didn't really weaken anything. You know, you can just you can stop reading three fifths of the way through and, and it's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to give it a perfect score. I agree. I, you you took the words right out of my mouth. It's five boss. They're introducing the Hulk. And and I was taken aback by how solid his origin is like it. We've seen it replayed so often in popular culture now over the years that, but seeing it this way and the, the horror element was mm -hmm. so great. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of Marvel by the Month. Um, you can follow us on the social medias. Um, on Instagram, we are Marvel by the Month, all one word. On Twitter, we are at MarvelBTM. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Marvel by the Month. And uh, you can always drop us uh, an email if you are so inclined at MarvelByTheMonth at gmail.com. And you can find us on internet at MarvelByTheMonth.com. So... Thanks for listening. Uh, I've been Brian Stratton. And I have been Austin. And we will see you next week for next month.